0: so i don 't know about you guys, but um, it 's just good being with family isn 't it <laughs> I said it 's just good being with family isn 't it <laughs> that 's a little better at least fake it. Come on now. <laughs> so uh, on uh, Wednesday morning, we uh, loaded up the minivan that would be the minivan that we don 't even drive anymore that we sent with one of our daughters to college and uh, Six of us and a Rottweiler and all of the presents got into the minivan for the six hour trek to Ohio to go to my mother in law's house. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of you guys said, okay. And so we all pile into the vehicle. Boy, you just don't know a good time until you're all crammed into the minivan. You've got an 85-pound Rottweiler licking you in the ear as you're driving down the road. Somewhere along the line, she thinks that the seats are for her and not the floor. But uh, we made it there okay and uh, had it. we did it. We had a good time with family. Um, there were 11 of us in the house. For two and a half days with one bathroom. <laughs> it's just good being with family, isn't it? I mean, you're together, and we had people sleeping on couches, we had people sleeping on cots and on air mattresses, and we got a bed. I'm just saying there's something about seniority, at least that helps a little bit, but, uh, but uh, it, it, it is good. And, and, you know, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about, uh, we're gonna look in, in First Thessalonians. And I'll have you turn there in just a, a few minutes, but in 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to look at the end of, of chapter 5. But Paul wrote the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, it was actually the second of his epistles that he wrote. Um, he established the church in Thessalonica on a second missionary journey, uh, Paul did. And so uh, he, they think he's probably in Corinth when he wrote it, and he's writing this letter, and he's checking back in with this church that he started and he loves. And he's helping them as they are taking the next steps in growth. Sixteen different times in the book of 1 Thessalonians, he uses the term brother, where he's talking to brothers and sisters. And, and really, you get the idea of family, that this church there in Thessalonica, it was family. And so he's writing to family, and he keeps referring to them as, as brothers and, and sisters in Christ. And... and uh, There's a phrase at the end, and we'll get to this in in just a, a little bit, but in verse 23, where he says, and may the God of peace sanctify you completely through the Lord Jesus Christ. May the God of peace sanctify you completely. That's really kind of the theme here of this passage as we see. It's the fact of being sanctified completely. It's a term that we use sometimes in biblical counseling called progressive sanctification. Sanctification—it's—it's that—it's that being set apart to God. Uh, it's sometimes we refer to it as our Christian walk. It's—it's—it's it's, it's that process of becoming more like Christ, day by day, little by little. When we come to Christ, that, that the Bible calls that justification. It's that point in time when, in which we're declared righteous before a holy God, even in our sin, because of Christ's righteousness. And then the rest of the Christian life is that process of sanctification. And so this passage this morning we're going to be looking at is actually, it's written to believers. Those that have come to the place in their, Christian, in their life where they've trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and and he's writing it to this church, this specific church. There, this family uh, of believers that were in this location. I think there's a lot that we can learn from it. When I'm thinking about the, and I think about that process though, of becoming more like Christ, I I can't help but uh, but but think about some of the the buildings that you see as, when we're in Haiti. You guys know. By the way, I'm I'm Steve McGinnis. I'm the missions and family pastor uh, here at Harvest and. And uh, we, we've got quite a work involved in Haiti. And one of the things that you see, though, in Haiti is, is you see uh, many, many buildings. Almost, I mean, almost most of the buildings look like they're not finished yet. I got some pictures of them up here. Uh, you see there, and you see them in construction. In the middle picture there, you see a lot of rebarb, and they build with block and with rebar. On the right-hand side, that picture uh, there, you see you see a, a building in the background that's finished, but but actually in the in the in the foreground there, I'm actually standing on the roof, and I'm standing on the second floor of the girls' orphanage there in Jokmel, and and you see a little a little bit about the how the construction is when they what they do is when they come in they build the first floor of a house or, or a building. But they don't stop there as they put the, the ceiling on, which also then becomes the floor of the second floor. And, and they just go ahead and run the rebarb and everything up and out the top. And so you see the roofs always look like they're, they're not finished. And, and the reason for that is because as the needs grow and as money comes in, then they'll add the second floor. And they just kind of pick up where they left off and just keep building on top of that, adding more rebar, adding more block, adding more rebar, adding more block, until they get to the ceiling of the second floor, which becomes the floor of the third floor. And, and you see, even the next picture there, um, you, you see. Then though, once they get to the third floor, and, and in the right side, you see the left side. They're in construction of the third floor. That is the school and church there in Jockmel, Harvest Jockmel. And you see there though the finished product there on the third floor. Then they actually bring in trusses and put on the roof. And they don't go higher than three floors. Anybody know why? They're known to get earthquakes down there. And so that's about the size, that's about as high as they want to go. As I thought about that, you know, I'm thinking about the Christian life, and what we see is we are in that process, and we're not done yet. The roof doesn't get put on until this passage is, until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's coming, but we're not there yet. We're still works in progress, much like the buildings there. With that being said, that's what we're going to look at, and I encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5, and, and we're going to start in verse 12. Again, this was a letter to the, bir- uh, the church of Thessalonica, and if you don't have a Bible, you just slip up your hand, love to get one in your hands as we turn there, 1 Thessalonians 5. The first uh, 11 verses of 1 Thessalonians 5 Paul has shifted, and he's now talking to this event. He says, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And and he's letting them know that basically time is short. There's going to come a time, and Christ is going to return to his bride. He references it it in chapter 4 when we see this this catching up period. Uh, Many times referred to the rapture of the church. And and in chapter 5, he's saying, we don't know when it's going to come. It'll come like a thief in the night in the first couple of verses of chapter 5. You see. And so he's setting them up, saying, Look, folks, time is short. We better be getting on this this process of sanctification. And then we pick up in verse 12, and we're going to see a series of things to go after. All of it stems, though, from our worship of Christ. And so I want to be very careful that we can get very horizontal in things, and and lose sight of the the key of all of this is in the vertical transformation that takes place. As we worship our God and allow Him to work in us and transform us, we then start working on all these different areas of behavior, and changes start to take place, and You know that we're in the middle of this year-long series, as we've already looked uh, through the first two series in the Be Transformed. Next Sunday, come back. We're going to have books for everybody, and we're going to jump into part three of the Be Transformed series. Don't want to miss it. But but it's that mindset of worshiping God, and then he gets very practical on some things that we can go after. And I thought it was just how fitting for us as we head into this new year with some very practical things that, that we can be going after. We're gonna start in verse 12 and uh, point number one is worship God by honoring leadership. Worshiping, worship God by honoring leadership. Verse 12, he says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you and in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Paul's saying here, look, we ask you this, brothers, family, as we're coming alongside, we're doing life together within the family, he says, we ask you to respect those who labor among you and are over you. To respect those, um, to to honor, to esteem, to acknowledge, to appreciate. Uh, Literally, the word means, in in the Greek, it it means to, to know by experience. And so respect those who labor among you. Within the leadership, it's those who, are, who labor with you and are over you. And, and who's he referring to? He's talking about, he's talking about leadership. Around here it would be uh, pastors and elders and church leaders. And, and so he's saying literally to, to, to respect them, to, to know them. And, and that work that they do, by the way, to all those who are in leadership He makes it very clear that those who labor among you. Ministry is is really supposed to be hard work. Uh, The the idea there of labor, the word, it gives the idea of working to the point of exhaustion. So we should be busy doing the work that God has called amongst leadership, and then the rest of us, as we respond to that leadership, and hey, we are all under authorities, aren't we? Each and every one of us. And to, to respect those authorities who stand before God and who lead uh, in the midst. He says, and admonish you. Those who admonish. Those, those who teach and train and counsel and correct. Those who are coming alongside and, and, and helping to, to lead and guide in that. It's a, he says, to esteem them highly and love because of their work to esteem them, to think highly of them in love, not because of necessarily who they are and even necessarily what they're doing, but because of the positions that they are in and and the responsibility that God has placed them in because of their work. And then he gets to this last phrase, and and I would say this is a, a key phrase. He says, be at peace amongst yourselves. You know the the best gift that you can give to leadership? Be at peace. Get along. He says, be at peace with whom? Leadership? It's not what he says, is it? He says, be at peace amongst yourselves. We've been spending time with family together, right? You know what it's like. Six people in the van and the dog that's running all over the place. When you're going down the road with all that in the back, you just want everybody to get along. Be at peace. That's really what Paul's saying within the body of Christ, within, within the family that we call church, of being peacemakers, looking to get along. Here you go, five ways to honor leadership in the church. Five ways to honor leadership. Number one, know them. Know them. Know who they are. Accept them for for who they are, and that God has placed them in a position with strengths and weaknesses. Sometimes, especially in a church this size, it's hard for us, speak personally, it's hard to get to know 2,500 odd people. Sometimes we need a little help. Uh, Right before we left, an hour before We left town, I stopped in at the UPS store, had to ship mail off a a package there, and as I walked in the door, (laughs) someone turned and looked to me and said, hi, hey, how you doing? And I thought to myself, (laughs) and she's sitting right over here, (laughs) said, "Uh uh-oh, And, you know, I'm thinking, where do I know her? I know her from church. I know her from school. I know her from, where do I know her? And she so graciously to me says, I go to your church. Oh, thank you. Introduced herself and started telling, got a little bit of her story and some things and even what's going on in Haiti and some things. And she recognized me. Guys, that is so helpful. So helpful for you to take that extra step and introduce yourself that way. Number two, appreciate them. Be thankful for the work that they do. You guys are, many are so gracious in this and and so helpful with this. Number three, love. Being loving. To care for. There are times we all need to be cared for. Number four, to submit. To be willing to place oneself under. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they, they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Why? It's because they stand before God to lead and shepherd, and they will give an account for that. And so to help them by, by being willing to submit, to, to place oneself under. And then number five, seeking peace with each other. Seeking peace with each other. Working to get along. All five of those are very, very helpful. Great ways to respect those in leadership. So let me ask you this question. Do you know your leadership? Do you know who the pastors and elders are here? For some, if you've not been to there, it's all the first connections. It's a great opportunity to see that and to be introduced to many. I encourage you to do that. Number two, worship God by building others up. Worship God by building others up, verses 14 and 15. It says, uh, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the fainthearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Okay, this is one of the best uh, overview of biblical counseling verses that you can get. Because right here you see a, a philosophy of sorts of biblical counseling here as Paul breaks down a kind of a different classification of people and then he gives a response to that group of people. And be careful there before we start judging. We all fit into each of these categories at different times. But he says, we urge you, brothers... Now, A couple verses ago, he said, we ask you, brothers, and now he's kind of stepped it up a little more. There's a little more urgency here as he's now urging us to what? To come alongside. As we're doing life together, to actually be willing to step in, and he says to to, uh, admonish the idol. Admonish. It gives the idea of warning. Some of your translations even use that word, to warn them. And the idol there, the definition, it's actually our English translations kind of do this a disservice. Because when I think of idol, I think of lazy. And that's really not what it's talking about there. The idol, the actual word, it gives the idea of not in battle order. We would say out of line or out of rank. And so it's the person, it's it's the unruly, it's the disobedient, it's the one that as they're all lined up, it's a military term, and that one guy who's just out of line. And he's saying, warn that person. And so the warnings generally should go something like this. Look, if you continue on this course of action, being out of line of what God would say, if you continue on, this is what God says the consequences will be. You don't want it. Please get back in line, and so it's a warning for their benefit. So warn the, uh, admonish the idol, and, and then he goes on and says, uh, encourage the faint-hearted, encourage the faint-hearted. The faint-hearted. I when I think of faint-hearted, I, I think of I, I think of the the hand ringer, the discouraged. The, the person that's down. And, and so to so that person, it's not a warning. Now it's an encouragement, which literally means to give courage, to come alongside, to comfort. To, to, to come alongside and give them j- just those encouraging words, to give them sometimes a little bit of extra perspective of what's going on and that you can do this and, 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 and it's worth it and keep at it. And so we come alongside and encourage the faint-hearted. And then he goes one step further and he says, and, and support and help the weak. The person that's weak is the person that's totally incapable. And it can be sometimes at times just incapable of doing whatever is necessary there. Sometimes the weak person is the one who is totally uninformed. Maybe their new believers just came to Christmas and they, they, they truly have no clue what it's supposed to look like and what's supposed to take. Sometimes the, the help and support of the week is is just informing the uninformed. Other times it means actually carrying a load, and so it's coming in and picking up them or the load that they are needing to carry, and then he wraps it all around with and be patient with all of them, no matter where they're at, because we're all works in progress. At different times we can all fit into the, each of these three categories and saying, look, understanding. That there's a progressive sanctification going on. That there's growth that's taking place and being patient in the midst of it. He takes it one step further in verse 15. He says, see, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. So he's saying, and to those, when, when evil is done to you, instead of repaying in kind, which is our natural reaction, it's the, oh yeah, well I'll show you type response, but he says, instead, re- respond with kindness, with good. Don't repay evil for evil. To be a peacemaker. To be a restorer. So there's a danger, there's a, a discernment that needs to take place. As we're coming alongside with each other, and, and Paul has been kind of putting into those categories, And it requires us to really do a good job of understanding so as i'm coming alongside an individual i need to know a few things are they the the idol the one who's out of line the 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 rebellious the unruly person are they the faint-hearted the discouraged person or are they the weak person let me tell you, if, if you come alongside the person who's just disobedient and you try to come alongside and just encourage that person, nothing's going to happen. Oh, they'll like it, but they ain't changing. They're just going to keep plowing ahead. But if you come alongside with the person who's discouraged, who's faint-hearted, and you come in with that strong warning, you crush them. If you come along with the weak person, And you try to warn or even encourage. Encouragement is nice, but if they don't know, they don't know. And if they're incapable of doing whatever it is, then all of the encouragement in the world, they're still going to be incapable of doing it. They need someone to step in and actually help in that process, at least getting them to the point that they can then pick up that load. And so depending on where they're at, the appropriate response is necessary, and that's what Paul's talking about there. So let me ask you, who are you coming alongside? Pastor Mike mentioned just a, a little bit ago, uh, sign-ups again for impact groups. Looks, folks, if you're not in an impact group, you need to get an impact group. It is the primary means of discipleship. We have our Sunday morning teach, and then we go out and doing life together. And to be able to come alongside, to encourage, to at times even challenge, and do life together get signed up for an impact group if you're not in one of If you are in one, then let me ask you, who are you coming alongside in your impact group? Who are you coming alongside with and the people you're serving with in the ministry? The people that you're sitting by on Sunday mornings or wherever it is you're crossing paths? Number three, worship God by shaping your attitude. Worship God by shaping your attitude. Again, Paul's just, man, he's just rattling these things out. One very practical thing after another very practical thing. And, and I'll be honest with you, this is the one that I struggled with the most this week. I said I was with family all week, right? Yeah, worship God by shaping your attitude. Verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in every circumstance for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So let's break it down here. Are three different things that he says. First of all, rejoice always. Rejoice to be joyful, glad, delighted. It's the idea of having joy again. Rejoice. Joy, it's, it's an internal quality. It's what flows out uh, from what the Christian knows about God and his eternal saving relationship with God. Joy is internal, it's not external. And sometimes that, that's part of the problem is, I, I, it's hard to just say, hey, just be joyful. Because joy flows from inside out. And not only that, he says rejoice when? Always. Say that again. Rejoice when? Always. Always. Joyful. How, the, how does that work? Well, here you go. Five ways to increase your joy. Five ways to increase your joy. Number one, think on God's blessings and provisions. Think on God's blessings and provisions. The more that we focus on how God blesses us, how God has provided for us, how God has taken care of us, it starts to shape our perspective. Starts to shape our attitude. Number two, focus on your eternal future. No matter what is going on today, no matter what is going on tomorrow, for the believer, for the person who's trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, made him king of their life, you have an eternal future, and all of the pain and all of the difficulties will someday be removed. you got something to look forward to beyond imagine. Number three, Remember God's promises. Remember God's promises over and over through scripture. We see promise after promise that God has made to us. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, Promise after promise that has been made to us that we can count on. That can help to shape the attitude. Number four, reflect on God's love. I just mentioned that, but reflecting on God's love. You you know, in those times when you're feeling very unloved, remember this, God loved you so much that he sacrificed his son for you. That's a sacrifice I'm not sure that I am willing to make for another person, and yet that's exactly what he did for you. That's the love that he has for you. Number five, trust God's desire for our best as he grows us through difficulty. Trust God's desire for our best as he grows us through difficulty. It's understanding that, yes, sometimes it is difficult and it's hard, but yet God's using that to grow. He's got our best at heart. He's doing something with it. Sometimes I say it this way, God doesn't waste pain. God's growing us through that and to trust God's desire for our best. When you start to focus and meditate on those things, it's amazing how now joy starts to develop in our attitude. Rejoice always. He then goes on and says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. It's a, so. Is it just like one long prayer all the time? I mean, it starts off just Heavenly Father and just never ends? Is that, is that what he's talking about here? I, I think of pray without ceasing as is, is spending the day with a friend. You ever had that where you've got a number of things you're going to do, but you've got somebody with you, and as you're going about doing the task and the errands and the things throughout the day, you're carrying on this constant conversation going back and forth with whatever's going on. And you talk to the person at the drive through window and then you carry on, continue your conversation with the person with you and back and forth and back and forth. When I think of pray without ceasing, I think that's really what God's saying is, look, he is with us. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer. Christ is with us. God is omnipresent all around us and he's right there with us and we're carrying on this conversation with the creator of the universe. And it's just a constant communion conversation with God pray without ceasing but he goes on and he says give thanks in everything give thanks to express gratitude acknowledge that God is in control and at work and to give thanks in everything I want to caution you truly not everything is good can I get an amen amen yeah. It's not that everything is just, woohoo hoo oh, man, look at that. It's not, it's not that. But in everything, no matter how difficult it is, there are still things that we can be thankful for in the midst of that. Sometimes, sometimes, even the only at times in the midst of whatever struggle, the only thing I can think of to be thankful of is the fact that I know that this is not going to continue for very long, that eventually it's going to let up. And praise the Lord that God is in control and even shaping that, but being able to see that there are still things to be thankful for in the midst of that. As I was thinking about that this past couple of weeks, I, here are some stumbling blocks to thankfulness. These are some things for me. When, when I get tripped up in being thankful, usually one of these are present. Number one, my expectations, a stumbling block to thankfulness, my expectations. But, but I thought that this was going to go this way and it didn't. My expectations. Number two, pain. When when you're in the midst of pain, sometimes it's it's all you can think of. You ever had an injury? And sometimes it's something as small as a toe. You ever had your toe smashed, and that throbbing toe just kind of takes over everything, right? Right? And that's the way we are in our pain sometimes, and we just lose total perspective of everything else. Number three is a distorted perspective. We're seeing things, and we're so caught up with everything that's so close to us that we're kind of reading it wrong. And and our perspective is is a little distorted. Sometimes that's where a a good, trusted friend come alongside to kind of help bring some perspective can go a long ways. Number four, Focusing on the circumstances only. Focusing on the circumstances only. I can only see what's just right around me. And I lose sight of that big picture of what else may be going on in the midst of it. And number five, sometimes with me, it's just plain selfishness. I just want what I want, and I'm not getting what I want. Stumbling blocks. To thankfulness rejoice always pray without ceasing give thanks in everything for this is the will of God this is the will of God literally what he's saying is all three of those are make up God's will for your life many times people come and they're like I'm trying to figure out what God's will for my life is and and sometimes we got decisions and crossroads and it's hard to determine that but one thing I can tell you is I do know some things that are God's will for your life I actually wrote down on, uh, in my notes there, joyful plus pray plus thanks equals God's will. The little formula there, guarantee, know God's will for your life. Joyful, thankful, prayerful. God's will for your life. So let me ask you, joy, prayer, thanks, is that descriptive of you this past week? Okay, let's, let's be real now. If I asked your family, would they say that was descriptive of you? Because I'm not sure, I'm, no actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure at times this last week it wasn't me. Worship God with your attitude. Number four, worship God by discerning his word. Worship God by discerning his word. He continues on verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So he says, starts off there with do not quench the spirit. Don't do it. And what is it that he's saying don't do? Don't quench. The idea of the word quench is when you take that bucket of water and you throw it on the fire. And you put out that fire. And that's the idea, saying don't don't be doing things that are going to put out the fire or put out the work of the Holy Spirit that indwells the believer. And so be very careful to allow God to work. Part of that transformation process that's taking place is, is the God's Spirit working within us in tune with His Word, which He's going to talk about in just the next couple of phrases there, and yet there are times that, that, we, that we quench that spirit, that we put that out. What are some ways? Well, one way that we quench the spirit is by neglecting, by, by not being in God's word, by not even spending time. In, and when we're in God's word, it's God speaking to us. You want to quench the spirit in your life? Don't listen to God. Don't be in His Word. Don't be in the corporate gatherings where the, where the Word of God is publicly proclaimed and, and hearing God's Word as it goes out. Don't spend any time talking to God. All part of neglecting here. And, and we're, just not, we're not spending time praying. We're, we're not in times of, of both corporate and personal worship where we're lifting up our praise and adoration to God. We neglect Number two is ignoring. One is just out and out neglect. Others may be, you might be in and around, but yet you're so focused on other things, we become distracted. And as God starts to leave from his word and from the spirit working in your life, and you, you get those pulls and that, and yet you're so busy doing whatever it is that we're doing, and we're so focused on other things that we end up ignoring God's leading. And then number three, disobeying. Just open, unconfessed sin. It's the best way to quench the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Where no matter what, even though you know that God is saying to do this or that, and yet you're saying, in this moment, in this area, but I'm going to do what I want to do. Guaranteed way to quench the Holy Spirit's work in your life. One of the works of the Holy Spirit, though, is also to illuminate Scripture. As we read Scripture and so that we see and actually God's Word then comes to life and we understand what it is that He is saying and He, and he goes on in verse uh, uh, 20, He says, Do not despise prophecies. In the Old Testament, the prophet was the mouthpiece of God. God would speak through the prophets and they would stand up and proclaim, this is what God says. And in our day and age, we have the completed revelation of God. Everything that we need to know that God wants to speak to us, he's written in his word to us. And so don't despise, don't look down upon prophecies. It's it's that public proclamation of God's word. Hold it in high value, not low value is really what he's saying. And he doesn't stop there. He continues on and he says, But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from from every form of evil. He's saying, Put everything that's going on in your life, everything that you hear from other people, and maybe even that you hear from someone up front, proclaiming what God says, and you test everything. You run everything through the filter of Scripture and say, Is this what God really says? And the good that you see in and out of that, then you hang on to that and you implement that. And every form of evil, you stay as far away from it as possible. That's what he's saying about being discerning of God's word. Can I just caution you? One of the things, and it comes up on occasion, I had, I think, one time specifically, I had a lady that came up after a service a couple of years ago. And she said, um, I just want to tell you, I, I, I got a word from the Lord for you. God wants me to tell you this. And, and I'm just, <laughs> okay, kind of waiting to hear. Just let me caution you. Don't do that. All right? Just, just be careful with that. Why? Because we test everything. And and I remember what she said was was relatively benign, and it wasn't anything, you know, really controversial that. But but on occasion, I've had this, hey, God told me to talk to you, and this is what you need to do. And and sometimes it may match up with Scripture, and sometimes it might not. Much, much better to say, hey, I think God may be leading me in this direction. And I'm going to test it to make sure that that is what God is leading in. A little better way to go about that. And God God speaks um, through his word ultimately. Um, Deuteronomy 18.20 says this, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, the same prophet shall die. Now in Deuteronomy 13, he talks about those who willfully misrepresent God. In, in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, we see the fact that those that were coming out and saying, hey, look, this is what God's saying, only it said they were presuming upon God. You know, it wasn't necessarily God. They, they may have had a little more of an agenda in the midst of it. And, and, that, and the punishment was steep in the Old Testament. So be careful. Everything we discern and we test through Scripture. So let me ask you, how discerning are you? With the decisions that you make day in and day out, can you back it up in in scripture? You may need to spend some time looking in scripture to see what God's will is in your life. Number five, worship God by trusting God's promise to, to perfect us. Worship God by trusting in God's promise to fer- perfect us. Verse 23, and I alluded to this earlier in the introduction, it says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now may the God of peace himself, may the God of peace, the, the definition there of peace, it literally means being bring bound, to be joined, to weave together It gives the idea of unity. We have a unifying God. The God of peace is a unifying God. Now may that God himself, meaning he's not farming it out for somebody else to do. He's actually rolling up his sleeves and doing the work himself. That God of peace himself sanctify you completely, set you apart, making you look like Christ. And while we are in process right now, just like the buildings that we looked at, that maybe the first floor, maybe the second floor, maybe getting that third floor there, working there, and yet there will come a day at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the next phrase there, that you may be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There will come a day when we will be completely what he wants us to be. When we come face to face with Christ, and so there's a promise in this that look, you're in that process. Keep heading in that process. May He sanctify you completely, and uh, your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. Your whole spirit, soul, and body—literally, you could say all of you. Every part of you is in this and will be completely transformed into, into what he wants you to be and ultimately to be blameless. The, the definition of blameless, it's, it's that there is nothing to be held against you. Uh, you see in the New Testament in First Timothy and in Titus where uh, elders and, are called to be blameless men. Please, that's not sinless. But it does mean that they're dealing with their stuff and that there's nothing, there's no outstanding offense that could be held against them. And ultimately, we will stand before God and we will be ultimately blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're on the clock. Time is short. Time is ticking. And then he adds emphasis. Verse 24, and he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. In case you read verse 23 and you still had some doubts, he says, look, he who called you, Jesus, is faithful. He'll do it. It's a done deal. You can take it to the bank. It will happen. Count on it. My son, uh, Thomas, is a junior in uh, high school and, and just recently with, with some other guys here at the church started uh, uh, getting into rock climbing. And i uh, been going over to Bloomington to the indoor place, and it's been fun to see him going through that. And, and uh, over Thanksgiving break, uh, he took uh, all of us, our family, and some other friends, and we had a big group, went over, went rock climbing. And for me, it had been literally years when I was much, much younger, about 22 years ago when we were first married. We did a lot of outdoor climbing, and I've not done anything since then. And and, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, it's been cool. For Christmas, I got him uh, some new, a new harness and some carabiners, and uh, he's got some shoes. And we're looking at buying rope and some things. We're going to take a trip this this uh, summer as well. And but it's always fun when you see someone who's climbing for the first time. And as you get them all in, in the harness and all hooked up and ready to go, and as they start off, one of the first things we try to do is say, "Okay, now." we want to kind of get over the fear of falling, right? And so what do you is just sit back. Just sit back and, and, and let the, the, the harness and the rope catch you. And, and it's funny when you always see that, and they're, of course, gripping the wall like this, and you say, sit back, and there's this hesitation because there's this doubt running through. Am I sure that this is really going to hold me? And sometimes it's, am I sure the guy down there belaying is actually going to hold me too? But you see, after once or twice, three times of actually falling and it catching you, you start to realize, hey, the gear will take you. Trust your gear. And then you can relax and and enjoy the climbing. Well, guys, it's the same way with the Christian life. And that's what he's saying is, look, he who called you is faithful. You can trust the gear. And, And as you look back and see at the different times that I've fallen and he's caught me, I know I can trust him. He keeps his promises. Worship God by trusting the one who's making the promise. So let me ask you, what are you going after? What are you going after this week? As we head into the new year, what what are you going after? We saw a number of different things, a lot of little practical things, all of it stemming from our worship of our God. What is it that God may have put on your mind? Right? Even as we've been walking through there, you got that little moment of uncomfortableness as you realize that's an area God's really maybe prompting me to work on. You got it? Got it in mind? Now do me this favor. Write it down on your notes. This week, this is what I'm going to go after. As I worship my God... As I allow him to transform me. It all comes out of our worship. It flows from internal, then into the change of behaviors. Let's pray.